Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. But we're going to do something this evening that um, I hope you'll find interesting. I hope it'll be helpful. We're going to be going all over the place. We're going to start in Daniel 7. And we'll read verses 7 and 8. Let's read 1 through 8, just for the fun of it. All right, before we get in more trouble, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made... Stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns... And behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. All right, so this is, this is introducing us to this beast who is the Antichrist. All right. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at several things about the Antichrist. I've got lots of information gathered from different sources, different studies, and 
all that. And so we're going to piece a bunch of it together and try to make uh, put together some, some useful information about the Antichrist, which will help you when you're studying Revelation, Zechariah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, all these books of the Bible who some way or another mention the Antichrist and tie, tie him into certain events in those books. It'll help you to know what to look out for. And uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll help you to piece important events together that are, that are spread throughout different books of the Bible. Uh, now, the Antichrist in the Old and New Testaments, um, our most clear introduction of him is in Daniel. Um, just as Christ came, the Antichrist is going to come. He, he tries to copy Jesus Christ. So many things that the Lord Jesus Christ did, the Antichrist is going to try and duplicate or, or try to produce his own version of it or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but the person of the Antichrist is revealed in the, in the Old and New Testaments. So we're going to look at many you've already seen in the Old Testament, uh, primarily in the book of Daniel. He's in other places, but this is just to give you uh, some examples. So. Uh, Daniel 7, 8, we just read. Look at Daniel 8, 9. Verse 9. Out of one of them uh, came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. Which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. So he's he's here in, in Daniel 7, 8. Here we have him in 8, 9. Uh, look at verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So he's there in 8, 23, that's, a, that's another reference to the Antichrist, to this coming king and what he's going to do. Um, look at chapter 9, verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations and determination. So he's this, this coming prince. And what is Jesus called? He's the prince of peace. He's the, the prince of princes. He's the, you know, Jesus is repeatedly in the Bible called a prince um, in, in different contexts. Look at Daniel 11. And so this coming king, Jesus is a king. This coming king is going to try and, and duplicate that every step of the way uh, and make himself to be as God. He's going to try to fulfill what Lucifer said he was going to do in Isaiah 14. Lucifer said, I, I will ascend. I will be I will be. You know, I'm going to I'm going to put myself above the most high. Well, this Antichrist is, is actually going to try and do that. Um, won't work out too well, but I mean, it will for a while. But, you know, the, this is the problem with sin. We think that because we got away with it today <laughs> must be OK. 
and then we do it again tomorrow. Nothing happened? It must be okay. Well, eventually the day of judgment comes, and you wish you hadn't have done it. <laughs> All right, so you, if, you, if you convince yourself, this is going pretty good, and I'm doing what God said not to do. I'm still blessed. Everything's still okay. I think I'm all right. I'll, just, I'll, I'll go a little further. I'll do a little more. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> judgment's here. <laughs> and you're, you're wondering, what in the world have I gotten myself into? So uh, don't, don't toy with sin. It, it's, it, there's pleasure in sin for a season. What, what's the problem with seasons, though? <laughs> they change. They come to an end. And so don't play with fire. Verse 36, chapter 11, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. Now, Larkin calls him in this verse. He gave him the name, the willful king. I mean, think about that. He'll do according to his will. I mean, that's about as ungodly as a person can be. God hates pride. And this man, he's like, I'll do whatever I want. Whatever's on my mind, I'm going to do it. Uh, uh, so it says, and, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself. That's not good. How'd that go for Nebuchadnezzar? Not very well. Um, and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. He's so good at blasphemy, it's marvelous. <laughs> People are going to look at that and say, wow. And this is, this is what, when you have debates between you know, a Christian and a modern atheist. Uh, one guy, his name is Christopher Hitchens. He, he died not long ago. He was a prominent atheist. He was excellent, very good at making you look stupid. He, he was marvelous at his blasphemy. It wasn't true. It was all wrong. But he was so sharp and so quick-witted that he, it didn't matter if it was true or not. He could make you look stupid. And so in the, in the debate, rather than debating the realities and debating the, the, the facts, he would just make you look stupid and everybody would laugh and, and, and he kind of won the day because of his personality. He was marvelous at speaking things against God. A lot of people now, they look to Richard Dawkins, but Richard Dawkins is a clown. Nobody takes, it, takes him serious. Uh, I mean, people take him serious because they don't want, they don't, some people take him serious because they don't want the alternative. The alternative is recognizing the truth. But Richard Dawkins has been pretty much proven to be a complete failure at being an atheist. He's terrible at it. He even admitted in an interview one time, accidentally, uh, I forget how, what they asked him or how they asked him, but they basically asked him, they were asking him about intelligent design, and finally he admitted, it's possible intelligent design is true, but it was probably aliens. Anything but God. All right, so it's possible intelligent design is real, but it was not God. Well, I mean, isn't I mean, God's alien to you? What do you mean by aliens? So it's, you know, you can only take that so far and, and, and you just look like a complete idiot. The other one is uh, Sam Harris is another popular one. Who Again, he's very intelligent. He's very good at speaking against God. He speaks marvelous things against God. Recently, in an interview, he made a complete fool out of himself. So his, one of his ideas is that you, can, you just kind of make your own morality. Well, recently in an interview, he re- revealed 
and, 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 you know, it, when I bring up the name, you might understand why he lost his mind. But Donald Trump <laughs> causes people to just lose it. And this man said he would vote for Joe Biden if his son, Hunter Biden, had dead babies in his basement. He would still vote for him over Donald Trump. <laughs> now, I, the point is not, you know, Republican versus Democrat. But if you're so insane, if your moral compass would allow you to vote for somebody connected to someone who has dead babies in their basement and you say that out loud and you claim to speak on behalf of morality, you should sit down and shut up. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and again, you know, some people, are, they're going to completely miss the point of that. It's, it's not about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It's a man who claims to speak on behalf of morality. He says you can make up your own morality. Well, if the morality you've made up makes dead babies in somebody's basement acceptable to you, you've got some serious problems and should probably not be lecturing people on morality. <laughs> and so th these men can speak marvelous things against God. Well, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to sway people because of his ability to blaspheme against God. I mean, think about that as a, as a talent and a skill. <laughs> it's going to sway a lot of people. All right, so here, here he is in 1136. And uh, Daniel really gives us the most information about him. Now, there are other places. We'll, we're going to look at several other places uh, this evening. Lord willing, hopefully get through all this because I, I need to wrap up chapter 7 next week and move into chapter 8. Um, but... Um, that's our introduction to him in the Old Testament, though there are other places and we'll see them. We'll see several tonight. The New Testament, the two primary places. Turn to Second Thessalonians. Now we're going we're to turn to Second Thessalonians probably about 100 times tonight. So if you want to mark that place, you might want to do that. Also, Revelation 13 will be there quite a bit. Um. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and um, we'll read verses 3 through 8. Let no man deceive you by any means. And that, that's, that, that's extremely important. Because connected to the Antichrist repeatedly to Christians and to Jews, the Lord says, don't be deceived. Matthew 24, he told the Jews, I'm telling you all this now. Many false Christs will come and they're going to deceive many. False prophets are going to come and they're going to deceive many. I'm telling you, don't be deceived. Now, here we are in 2 Thessalonians, directed specifically to Christians about the Antichrist. Don't be deceived. All right, so a lot of amazing things are going to come and we're going to see that about the Antichrist. His abilities when he comes, man, it's going to be tempting to say, maybe we should follow this guy. Maybe we should go see what he's got, what he's talking about. Uh, don't do it. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with was yet with you, the Lord said that repeatedly. And now we have the Apostle Paul saying, remember when I was there? 
And I told you, you know how many times I feel like saying this to people sometimes? Like, didn't I? I, you heard me preach on this. That we've talked about this. We've gone over this. And they say something completely wild that's completely outside the bounds of what we talked about. And it's like, do you remember when I was yet with you? (laughs) The Apostle Paul's writing back and saying, how did you get deceived? When I was there, I told you about this. I wrote to you. I informed you. I preached about it. I taught about it. I talked to you about it. When I was yet with you, and, and now here you are. I remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken, taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So it's not going to go well for him. All right, so in your New Testament, you have 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8, and then we'll jump over to Revelation 13. And uh, we'll just read verse 1. We'll probably be in Revelation 13 often as well tonight. Revelation 13, 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Introducing us to the Antichrist. And uh, we'll look at that more and more as we go. we got a, we got a lot to... A lot to cover, so I, I you know, the, the, these could be, for the Old Testament and New Testament, it could be more exhaustive. They're, the list could be bigger, and in fact, tonight, we're, we're going to look at numerous places in the Old Testament and New Testament that talk about the Antichrist. Um, but before we head into it, I want to plant an idea or a thought in your minds. Early Christianity viewed the Antichrist as an individual person, which fits the biblical narrative. It's not a system. It's not a. It's not. It's not describing a government or a people. It's a person. It's an individual person. He's, he's just like Jesus Christ is an individual person. The Antichrist will be an individual person. Now, this you have to remember in the Bible you have you have the Antichrist and you have. Antichrist. This is an idea. You know, First John chapter four. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, that is Antichrist. That's an idea. That's a that's an ideology or a religious position that is against what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. That's not the person of Antichrist. You understand what I'm saying with the di- the difference? All right. So what we're talking about is the person who will be. Directly related to these end time events, you know, anti, the, the Bible says Antichrist, this idea, it's in the world now. It's all over the place. There are lots of people who say, you know, Islam, Jesus is not the Christ. Now, they'll, they'll say he's the Christ, but they'll, say, they'll also say he's not the son of God. But you don't get to separate these three, Christ, Messiah, son of God. 
This is a complete package. You can't separate the two, the three. So they'll say, oh, we believe he's the, the Christ. They'll even say, we believe he's the Messiah. If you ask a Muslim who knows a little bit about the Quran, you say, oh, so then you believe he's the son of God. No, he's not the son of God. Well, the Bible says he is. Well, the Quran says he's not. It says God has no son. The, the, the opening pages of the Quran literally say God has no son. God does not begat. And Jesus did not die on the cross. No other religion names specifically what Christianity teaches and believes and denies it directly. Only Islam does that. Now, other religions have their own version of these events, and, and they're, they're off or sometimes they're closely related, uh, but they, they tend to be outside the bounds of what the Bible teaches. Islam names it and says it's not true. Jesus is not God. Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus did not die on the cross. I mean, they, they name it specifically and teach against it directly. I mean, Catholics believe Christ died on the cross. Uh, Mormons, they sort of believe Christ died. They believe Christ is a God who, uh, I don't know, Mormons are crazy, so I would just stay away from them. Um, so early Christianity viewed the Antichrist as an individual person, which fits the biblical narrative. As Catholicism rose to political power and came to dominate the world, this idea changed. Their cruel dominance and ruthless reign caused the Protestant Reformation. When the Protestants broke away from Rome due to their murderous persecution, the Protestant churches began teaching that the Pope was the Antichrist. Well, which one? You'd have to say it's the papal system. You can't say, well, it's that Pope. Well, that Pope died and left and nothing that, that, that the Bible says about the Antichrist happened. And generally speaking, the Pope doesn't, doesn't directly blaspheme God. Um, they teach you know, apostate teachings. They teach ungodly teachings that we disagree with, that we can prove to be wrong biblically. Um, but, but you don't find the Pope you know, standing and, and blaspheming directly against God. They believe a lot of the things that we believe. Now, that doesn't make them acceptable or, or, or uh, move them out of the realm of being an ungodly apostate pagan church. They absolutely are. Um, but, but you'll see the point of why we're bringing this up in just a moment. As, as Protestants broke away, Rome just doubled down and, and was just murderous in the way they handled these people. And so they began to teach that the Pope was the Antichrist. Was, why wouldn't you? I mean, there, there, there are, if you, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you read what, what the Catholic Church did to Christians, it's unbelievable. You know, some people, they, they hung upside down and then took a saw, a two-man saw, and sawed them in half while they were alive. You imagine what that would feel like? How long would it take you to die? How much torture would, why would, why, why the need to, you can't just execute them. They have to execute these people. They hate them so much. They have to execute them in the most brutal, painful way imaginable. It's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's incense. It's like they, they, they lose their minds. 
when they don't get their way. And if Rome had power today, they'd still be doing the same thing. Of course, today, it's a weak, impotent organization. It's only influential because they have a lot of money. They have no power. Nobody cares about them. In fact, the world that used to promote them and protect them now is turning against them because you can only violate children for so long before the world's finally like, okay, (laughs) uh, we're going to have to say something about this. And so... uh, Protestants thought they were the Antichrist because they were powerful and they were murdering them in horrendous ways. They would tie you to a stake and then they would choke you until you died. Just strangle you until you die. Why? Why do you have to do someone like that? Because you disagree with their doctrine? Like I've been in some heated conversations, but I have never thought, you know, I'd like to hang you upside down and cut you in half with a handsaw. How do you get your mind to that point? And so if you're, if you're being hunted down in that way, you could start to think, man, he's, the devil is chasing me. It's not the Catholic Church. It's the Antichrist chasing me. <laughs> uh, but it is absolutely true that Rome committed terrible atrocities over the centuries. And they are clearly an apostate church. Uh, No one could argue otherwise. I mean, they'd be the only ones to try and suggest they're not. Um, They also propagate an ungodly system, but today they are a shadow of their former self. They are weak, impotent, and effectively useless. The fourth kingdom in Daniel 2, which is also the third kingdom of Daniel 7, was a political power, absent of religious influence. We don't read about... This, you know, if you read about in, in Daniel 2, it's the rise of a king, not a church, not an apostate church, not a religious organization. Uh, then you read about in, in Daniel 7, the rise of a king, Daniel 8, the rise of a king. All right, it's not until we get to Revelation that, that a second beast comes along that is the false prophet and adds this religious aspect to it, but the religious aspect is, again, to elevate the king and to make him like a god. He causes people to worship the Antichrist. Right? So it's not the rise of a church. It's not the rise of a religious organization. It's the, it's the rise of a political power. And now we know Rome has political ambitions, but you're really making a stretch to attach the rise of the Antichrist to Rome. Uh, even when you read about, even when you read about uh, in Daniel two, the, the 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 Roman kingdom, there was no religious aspect to it. It was it was just Rome dominating Israel. There was no Catholic Church at that time, and and so people talk about the revival of the of of, of Rome as though it's the revival of the Catholic Church. Well, there was no Catholic Church. It was a political system. And that political system dominated Jerusalem. And so when you get to the next kingdom, the ten kings that shall come, but there's so, so many ideas are being conflated between Roman Catholicism and Rome the kingdom to try and make this new Roman <laughs> revival, whatever that's supposed to be. All right, so it was a political power absent of religious influence, Rome is identified as a kingdom revived in the end times because of their religious adherence. The Bible speaks of the kingdom 
and men are looking at religion. The two are not the same. God says, this king is coming, and men, and men say, oh, the Catholic Church is coming. It's like, That's not what the Bible said. The Bible said a king is coming, and that king has little relationship to, to Rome. Now, the only uh, one of the few uh, ideas that connects all the kingdoms together, so you have, you have Babylon, uh, then you have Persia, and then you have Grecia, then you have Rome, then you have that that diverse kingdom. Well, each one swallows the other. And so each one has, to some extent, some characteristic of the other. But you wouldn't say that this diverse kingdom is, is a revival of the Persian kingdom because it has some influence from Persia. All right, so, so each kingdom influenced the other because they, they're taking in these Huge swaths of territory. I mean, massive. When, when Persia takes Babylon, Persia is huge. So is Babylon. <laughs> so they go from being huge to being gigantic. I mean, it's massive, the, the, the territories that they span. And so while it is true that one will influence the other, and even in the biblical prophecies, you're going to see the, these connections. Uh, like, like, remember, the, the Antichrist and in Revelation 13, he's got the foot of a leopard and the you know hand of a bear and the you know he's got all these body parts that resemble all of these. Well, at least these, Persia to, to Rome, going back to Daniel 7. So we start reading about this Antichrist in Revelation 13. He has characteristics of of the the animals used to describe these powers. Back in, you know, the, the leopard, the bear, the, the, the you know, all, all the different animals in Daniel um, 7. So there, there is some connection there, but there's not enough connection to, to make this a revival of the Roman kingdom. And then you need to explain what you mean by that. Are you talking about the Roman Catholic Church? Or are you talking about Rome, the political power? Which, which one is being revived? Are you putting the two together? And how are you doing that? You, 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 you can't conflate all these ideas. These are all different ideas that came, came along at different times. And so you, you, you got to be careful with them. All right. We're going to look at several contrasts between the Antichrist and Jesus Christ. We're going to turn to several passages these are, some of these are very interesting. Look at um, John 6. So get John 6 and Revelation 11 together. We'll try to get the two, call out, I'll try to call out the two together. That way we can knock them out as needed. John 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's Jesus Christ. Revelation 11. Let's see what it says about the Antichrist. Verse 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So the Lord descends down from heaven and the Antichrist ascends out of the pit. 
Now, there's an interesting idea. I, I, I need to look at it more. I don't know that I can um, ascribe to it, but it's, it's really thought-provoking. We'll say, we'll say that. Um, there, there's an idea because of, because of the, the Antichrist ascending out of the pit, you know, that um, Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. Also, the Antichrist is called the son of perdition. So I'll, I'll just tell you the idea. I'm not teaching it as though it's fact. It's, it's interesting. Um, it makes sense, but I, I need to think about it some more before I can say yay or nay. Um, remember when we read about the Antichrist? We, we read last week. We'll, we'll see it, I'm sure, again tonight. Uh, it talks about the Antichrist. First, he, he ascends out of the pit. All right. Then it, it talks about him as being someone who, who is and was and will be again. Do you remember reading that? Well, I'm sure we'll see it again this week. And so they, they take the idea of him being, of these two being the son of perdition and the fact that the Antichrist was and is and will be again and, and, and you know, taking those ideas and putting them together. And then the Antichrist rising out of the pit. The teaching is that Judas, because he was indwelt by Satan, right? Satan entered into him. Well, the Antichrist is also going to be indwelt by Satan at some point. Um, that, that when Judas died, he went to his own place, which is interesting. What is that? Where's his own place? How did Judas have his own place in the afterlife? It's an interesting idea. You know, you can speculate as to what it means. I don't know that there's any clear cross references that would give a whole lot of light. Um, my assumption is he died and he went to hell, which is where lost people go who refuse to repent. All right, so he died and went to his own place. And so they try to connect this to the Antichrist rising out of the pit. So they say his own place is that pit. And so when the Antichrist rises, that it, that it is essentially the resurrection of Judas. Um, now, if you... if. I don't have all the verses with me. I, I was reading over it and looking at it this evening. There are a couple of verses I need to get the context of to see if, if you can actually make these connections. Looking at it, just looking at the, the cross-references, it looks plausible. It looks possible. But I need to go back and make sure that the references being used are being used in context because it's easy to make something look like it exists if you use the verses out of context to force it to exist. All right, so it's interesting. It looks possible, uh, but I don't know yet. So I thought I would throw that in there, let you think about it. Um, look at John 5. The next two are both in John 5, 43. And this was not directly about the Antichrist, but it sure, sure inhabits his spirit and attitude. John 5, verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. 
right? So it's not talking directly about the Antichrist there, but that, I mean, is that not descriptive of his mentality? He's going to exalt himself. He's going to do his own will. The Lord said, I came in my father's name. But if somebody else comes in his own name, (laughs) you're going to reject me who came from God, and you're going to receive the one who comes in his own name. Uh, So uh, Philippians 2 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Philippians 2, and that's going to be in verse 8. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled, he humbled himself. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So the Lord humbled himself. The Antichrist exalts himself. Look at Isaiah 53 and we'll look at Isaiah 53 and Luke 23 together about Jesus. Luke 23 and Isaiah 53. All right, Luke 23, verse 18. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us. Barabbas, Isaiah 53, and get with that, Revelation 13. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So the Lord is despised and rejected. But look at Revelation 13, and tell me if this doesn't match what we just read in John 5, 43. Revelation 13, verses 3 through 4. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who was able to make war with him? I know who is. (laughs) And so you want to put your trust in the one who is able to make war with the beast. Do not settle for a counterfeit. Back to Philippians 2, Revelation 19 and Philippians 2. So while we're in Revelation, look at Revelation 19 real fast. Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken... And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. Uh, These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So the the Antichrist will be cast down into hell. Look at Philippians 2. What do you think the opposite of that is in Philippians 2? Wherefore, he was exalted. Verse 9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Remember, the Antichrist is going to exalt himself, and then God's going to throw him in the lake of fire. (laughs) The Lord humbled himself, and then because because he humbled himself, he became obedient, he became a servant, he did all these, these lowly things, 
by his own choice, God's going to exalt him. And every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Look at John 6 and Daniel 11. John 6, Daniel 11. All right, John 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Daniel eleven thirty six. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall shall be done. Luke 19 and Daniel 8. Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Daniel 8, verse 24. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully. <laughs> I mean, that's, those are words that don't go together. If you can destroy wonderfully, God forbid, I mean, praise the Lord, I will be gone. <laughs> um, you can be here and go through the tribulation and meet a man who can blaspheme wonderfully and destroy wonderfully. And let me know how it goes. Zechariah 11 and John 10. John 10 verses 4 through 15. Um, verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they, they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, uh, they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but, to, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. This is a very interesting. Zechariah 11, verses 16 through 17. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off. Neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. The Antichrist will be the idle shepherd. John 15 and Revelation 14. John 15, Revelation 14. My Bible just opens to Revelation 13 now. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Jesus Christ is the true vine. 
Revelation 14, 18 through 20. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out. So the Antichrist represents the vine of the earth. Jesus is that true vine, or you can be a part of the vine of the earth. John 14, 6 and 2 Thessalonians 2. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse, verse 11 and then verse 4. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Liar. (laughs) So Jesus Christ is the truth. The Antichrist is a liar. Mark 1 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Mark 1 verse 24. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth art thou come to destroy us. I know thee who thou art. The Holy One of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 8. What a contrast. Chapter 2, verse 8, Then shall that wicked be revealed. Jesus Christ is the Holy One. The Antichrist is that wicked that shall be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2 and Isaiah 53. These next few are striking. Incredible differences between the two. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. Let no man deceive you. By any means, for that day shall not come, except there were, there come a falling away first, and that man of sin. I mean, what a contrast between the two. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, the Antichrist, the man of sin. Uh, hold your place in Second Thessalonians. Look at Luke 1. This next one is incredible as well. Luke 1 and verse 35 And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the Son of God. 
of perdition. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Antichrist, is the Son of perdition. Hold your place in 2 Thessalonians and turn to 1 Timothy 3. Verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery, the mystery of godliness. Mm. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, and so I'm going to repeat myself, but think about this. Um, The mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness is that God was manifest in the flesh. Okay, so then what is the mystery of Iniquity. Iniquity was manifest in the flesh. (laughs) What a contrast. Now, with that list, who would you follow? Well, it's easier for you sitting here having trusted in Jesus and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. But you're going to have... Millions and millions and millions and millions of people follow that man. Right into perdition. We'll talk about perdition as well. All right. The next idea about the Antichrist. There's a lot of speculation about where he'll come from. Uh, I believe the Bible answers that. I don't think, I, I don't think you have to guess. People, because they have made Rome this revived empire, or they have made Rome, um, you know, this, this, they made Rome Babylon, which is interesting when you get to the book of Revelation, you don't read anything about Rome. I don't even know that Rome is mentioned again in the rest of the Bible after Jesus Christ is, is gone from the earth. I mean, it, it, other than in the book of Romans and, and dealing with the Romans who are in the book of Acts, but it's not mentioned as a world power, as an empire, as a revival of anything, in any way, you're going to read about Babylon. If you want to call something a revived empire, it would have to be Babylon. But I guess it didn't have to, but that, that, that would make more sense. You'd have more, you'd have more support for something like that in the book of Revelation because all it talks about is Babylon. That, that's who we're going to be dealing with. In, in the end time, that's, that's the kingdom that, that the name of that kingdom that, that is brought up. Um, now, what their relationship is to the ten kings, I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure about that yet. I have some ideas, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Now, the next idea we're going to look at is the Antichrist and the. Assyrian. That's what Isaiah calls him. Uh, In the book of Isaiah, the Antichrist is identified as the Assyrian. And then we're going to look at some other other interesting ideas. So I'm going to introduce you to this idea. But then you're going to start to see it show up in other places that we go. 
And you start seeing a connection between the Antichrist and the Assyrian. Look at Isaiah 10. We'll look at just a couple of verses real fast just to get the idea. Isaiah 10, verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Who does that sound like he's talking about? He references the king of Assyria, but this is a future event. This is prophetic, looking out towards the second coming of Christ and the restoration of, restoration of Israel. It also, once again, makes that connection between the, um, between the kings of the earth and there, being, and, and there are sometimes being controlled by some principality and power. So he's, the Lord is rebuking the king of Assyria, but that's not who he's talking to. Um, if you think about Isaiah 14, when, when the Lord is talking to Lucifer and asking him, how art thou fallen from heaven? You know, you, you made all these claims. Well, he's actually talking to the king of Babylon. But, but it's obvious he's not talking to the king of Babylon. It, it, he's, he's talking past the king of Babylon to Lucifer. So that's the same in this case. Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, verse 25. That I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains, tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. So here you have the Assyrian. And he's going after Israel. The Lord said, I'm going to break his yoke off of them. He wants to stamp my people. I'm going to tread him underfoot. All right. So now these verses, again, they refer to future events that involve the second coming of Christ and the restoration of Israel. And so it appears the Antichrist will be Assyrian if these verses you know, mean anything if they if they are uh, if you can make that link, um, and then you'll see in other places as we go that connection gets stronger and stronger. Um, you, you'll see some pretty interesting things uh, later in our studies that will help tie those things together a little bit more. All right, all right. The Antichrist and his coming. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this to you. We got a couple. It, it just it's just kind of laying out some some events. The little horn of the fourth wild beast is the Antichrist. That's Daniel seven. All right. So you have the little horn Daniel seven. Next, you have the little horn that came from the four notable horns in Daniel 8. So you have another little horn in Daniel 8. 
The little horn that came from the four notable horns in Daniel 8 will come from one of the nations of the old Grecian Empire. All right, now we haven't gone through Daniel 8 yet, but if you go read that, you'll get this connection. It's, it's um, this, this little horn coming from the four notable horns is part of the Grecian Empire. Now, again, just, just to make the connections, under the old Grecian Empire was Assyria. Also, Syria was part of Assyria. They, they were part of the old Grecian Empire. Then in Daniel 11, the king of the north. All right, so Daniel 11, king of the north is part of the Grecian Empire. Um. The king of the north is another representative of the old Grecian Empire and again connects the Antichrist to Assyria, which was in the old Grecian Empire. The Antichrist will likely be from Assyria. He may be possibly an Assyrian Jew. Though I'm not convinced that he has to be a Jew. Um, some people think that if he's not a Jew, that the Jews won't receive him. Have you seen what the Jews receive today? <laughs> it, it's, it's insane. They're, they're so apostate today, it's, it's horrendous. I think I've told you before about when I went to a, um, a temple Israel in, in Daytona Beach. Uh, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time. We were just looking for something to do. So we, we saw this Temple Israel in Daytona Beach, Florida, and we thought, let's just go see what they do in there. They were having a service, and there was, people were just pulling in, and we we're like, let's just go in and see how it goes. So we went in, and we sat down, and first of all, a female rabbi gets up and goes up on the, the pulpit, whatever it is, so that's the first thing. My wife and I are looking at her like, was she about to make announcements? <laughs> like, what, is, what is she doing? <laughs> and she's leading the service. She's like, Rabbi so-and-so is out of town, so he left me in charge. And it's like, would never happen under, under a, biblical, a biblically run synagogue. There's no way. There's no chance. And so she... They start reading out of the, their psalms. They have the, this contemporary book of psalms that they make. And, and so we're reading along and we're following along. And then at exactly 6 o'clock, it's actually right now 6.01. Um, at exactly 6 o'clock, everybody stands up and faces the east. And they wait for the queen of heaven to come in. And so my wife and I, we're, we didn't stand up. We're sitting down. We're, we're sitting down like this. We're over there like... Sitting down, looking at the door like, <laughs> who's coming? Like, we're trying to see who's going to walk in. Nobody's walking in. And we're just sitting there looking like, who is it? Like, is somebody about to walk in and you're calling her the queen of heaven? And it was, it, I, 
at, at six o'clock, they, t- they stand up and they turn and they welcome the queen of heaven, which is a mythical creature that they stand up and welcome into the building at six o'clock every time they have services. Like, have you read the book of Jeremiah? Do you know what God did to your people because of that? No, they hadn't read the book of Jeremiah. They don't care what the book of Jeremiah says. In fact, we're reading this book of the Psalms, and and there's a whole psalm about how they're going to, they promise God in the psalm, they're going to go out and tell people about their God, and they're going to bring them in and, and make them part of Israel. And so I was like, man, I wonder how they do that. So the service is over. No, so then the next thing, uh, they start passing around small cups of wine, alcoholic wine. And if you, apparently if you drink this wine, it helps sick people. So they, they're drinking wine to help the sick. And then they had some cups of wine left over. And they're like, anybody else? Want? And people are like, yeah, I want to help the sick. Here, bring me some more wine. And so they, people were volunteering to take more wine so they can help sick people. Like, you drunkards. And then they're going to drive home. And they're doing all this in the name of God, the God of Israel. And, and then, so the service is over. Oh, actually, so then, then they asked me to stand up and introduce myself. And that was a big mistake. Uh, I mean, I was respectful, but you gave me the floor. You always be careful giving people the floor. You should never give anybody the floor if you don't know them and you don't know what they're going to do. I understand Pastor Paul. He likes to do the whole visitor thing. It's, I'm telling you, one day he's going to give the floor to the wrong person. <laughs> and it's going to be talked about for months. But, but you know, he's the pastor. You do it however he wants. But it, it, so they gave me the floor. He said, you know, would you stand up and introduce yourself? I said, yes, my name is Thomas Irvin. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day. And if you would trust in him, he would save you like he saved me. And they're like, oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> and so I sat down, and then after it was over, they invited me back to, to talk. I was surrounded by 10 men. It was me in the middle, there were 10 men, and we're going at it. I was like, so what is God to you? And I mean, who is God? Who is Jehovah? And this guy stands up, he steps up, and he says, well, God is... He's like an energy. Like, what, like, like you stuck your finger in a socket? What do you mean an energy? What does that mean? What, did you stick your tongue to a battery? I don't understand what that means. Show me in the Bible where it says God is an energy. I, I, like, I mean, does he, does he just like, does he wake you up in the morning and, and, and you jump up full of it? I mean, I don't know, what, what's, what's the connection? What does it matter? Why are you here? And, and I said, well... How do you proselyze? How do you, how do you go out and evangelize? Oh, we don't evangelize. Like you just read in your book, you promised your ball of energy that you're going to go out and bring people in. And the guy said, I don't think we said that. I said, it was, we just read it in your Psalms. I, my wife and I were, my, my, whatever she was, she wasn't my wife yet, but she is now. She might as well have been. And so we just read it with you. And it's literally said, you're going to go out. Tell people about your ball of energy and bring them in and make them part of whatever it is you're supposed to be. And they're like, well, we, we, we you know, feel like it's disrespectful to do that. It's like, it's disrespectful to tell people about your God? Really? And I said, okay, how do you have your sins forgiven? And he said, we, we don't believe in sins. I said, of course you do. 
And he said, no, we don't. I said, okay, right now in Daytona Beach, some woman is being physically violated. Some child is being violated in an ungodly way. You're going to tell me that's not sin? And that God's not going to do something to that man or that, or that woman or whoever it is that's hurting these people? And, and the guy said, the man who does that, it is his punishment. I said, you know, you know why you, that was a stupid thing to say. And you know why you said that? Why do you think I said that? Because it's not your wife. If it was your wife, all of a sudden it'd be awfully sinful and you'd want something done about it. You're going to tell me that if a man raped your wife, you're not going to call the police? Well, of course I'd call the police. Well, that's awfully judgmental. That, that insinuates he did something wrong. <laughs> so did he do something wrong or did he not? Well, well, uh, yeah, no, you, you, you people don't believe anything. I don't know why you're here. You could have sat at home and drank wine to help the sick and had your ball of energy float around. You didn't have to come here and meet together and do all this. You don't believe anything. It's all just made up garbage. And so Kristen was embarrassed, but she knew what she was getting herself into. And she still chose to, to marry me. Anyways, so I'm not at fault. <laughs> right? That's how it works. That's number one rule of marriage or, or moving into marriage. You need to sit down with the person you're, you're, you're hoping to marry and warn them against yourself. <laughs> you need to know if you marry me what you're getting, the good and the bad. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how, oh, I'm wonderful. I do everything right. I keep my house perfect. Everything is just great. We'll have maids. We'll have, I mean, you'll never have to do anything. It'll be the greatest life ever. Liar. <laughs> no, you need to tell her. You know, I stink. <laughs> I like things done a certain way. And if you don't do it, I get aggravated. Are you okay with that? Can you handle that? Because you're taking two people completely different and bringing them together. And my wife and I are very different. But praise the Lord, I think we're a good match. Though I tried to warn her. And she didn't listen. So the idea that Israel would not receive an Assyrian or a Roman. I mean, whatever. I, I, I don't know that, you know, there are some Orthodox Jews who, who would not go for this kind of thing. There are what we would call Orthodox Jews who are, who are a bit more staunch, a bit more strict um, I, I don't know how far they'd go, and I don't know how much say they have, especially now in, in modern-day Israel uh, with their, their current government. I mean, the Orthodox Jews don't really mean anything. Um, I mean, you've got people in Israel, in, in the nation of Israel today, and, and by that nation, I don't mean God's nation of Israel. I mean the, the modern British-made United Nations-ruled <laughs> little country that's in the Middle East, um, I mean, they'll accept some unbelievably horrendous and ungodly things. Now, there are parts of Israel, I've never been there, Brother Keith's been there, um, but I know there are parts of Israel where if you walk in that place and you do anything outside God's law, they'll drag you out in the streets and deal with you right there. So there are some very strict, orthodox areas in the nation of Israel and even around the world, if you go to New York City, places like New York City, um, New York City is an incredible place, or it used to be. Now it's a dump. 
and you should never go there because you'll probably be robbed or, or killed on a subway. Um, but if it ever becomes safe again and you get to go there, New York is, is incredible because you, you can literally walk one block and you will be in Israel. Walk another block and you're in China. You will think you're in China. You walk another block, you will think you're in Puerto Rico. You walk another block, you'll think you're in Albania. I mean, the massive portions of New York City are dedicated to these, these immigrants who have come to, to America. And there are so many of them who have gathered together in these areas. They basically just turn it into what they came from, which, why'd you leave? <laughs> if you just want to come to America and bring what you, what you had back there, why'd you leave? Why, you, why not go back and just be there? It's, it's an amazing thing. People used to come to America and they would abandon their, their previous home because it was better in America. Now they come to America and they're taught to hate America and to bring what you're running from with you. <laughs> like, what, why would you, uh, you, you can walk another block, a couple blocks, and you'll be, you'll literally think you're in Cuba. Well, why would you bring Cuba with you? It's a communistic state that throws you in prison for having the wrong thought. And we don't want that. Don't bring it here. <laughs> don't bring it to America. All right, so if you leave your country because there are no opportunities, there's oppression, there's uh, uh, far too many difficulties, and you come to America because you presume when you get there, there'll be freedom and opportunity and, and financial gain. Why would you bring with you what you're trying to run from? Does that make any sense? Do you know, in order to get from Cuba to America, many of these people ride on a tire across the ocean. They float across the ocean on an inner tube just to get away from their country. So anyways, that's a civics lesson. It had nothing to do with our, our lesson here, but um, it's interesting anyways. If you ever get a chance to go to New York, well, don't die because New York is insane right now. It's unbelievably out of control. But just a few years back, it was very safe. And uh, you could go to New York and, I mean, you, you could literally experience... The neat thing about it, whether you like people bringing what they're running from with them or not, the neat thing about it is you can literally walk around that city and experience completely different cultures all in one place. And, and that part's interesting. That part is, is nice. All right. So a few men in the Bible wrote about the Antichrist. We'll take a brief look at those. Paul and the Antichrist. So we know Paul wrote extensively about the Antichrist. Um, go back to 2 Thessalonians. Not that we haven't read it enough, but we can read it some more. Worth reading again and again and knowing well. This is one of the most attacked the ideas about the Antichrist and um, the, the tribulation and the second coming, they're some of the most insane teachings and some of the most attacked teachings of all the doctrines in the Bible. So it's good to read this over and over and get it in your head and become acquainted with some of these ideas and get familiar with it. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 10. Let no man deceive you by any means, 
For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? Man, that, that is just so striking to me. How many times does the Lord say, have you not read? You know why, you know why you're in error? Because you don't read. <laughs> if you read your Bible, study your Bible, listen to what I told you, you wouldn't be so, so deeply entrenched in error. You'd be able to get this together. Verse 6. And, know you, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And, when shall, and, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, that all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they might believe a lie. So, the mystery of iniquity, and we talked about 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of godliness. This is, this is Paul addressing these things, the realities of the Antichrist and his coming. And here he's setting the Thessalonians straight. He's like, was I not with you and told you about all this? How did, how, how did you get deceived? How did you get off track? Now let me get you back on track by telling you the same thing that I told you when I was there. I have no new doctrine. I have no new light, no new ideas. I'm not going to show up and teach you something different. I'm going to show up and I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told you. I'm going to send you a letter and tell you the same thing that I told you when I was with you. The Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming, but so is Jesus Christ. Right? And so the fact that Christ is coming for you should comfort you. You should comfort one another with these words. And, and, and so it's, it's a blessing. Uh, he will be the mystery of iniquity. Jesus Christ is the mystery of godliness. The Antichrist will literally be the manifestation of iniquity. What is that going to look like? How's that going to, to, to play out? Um, the, 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 the thing that, that about all, a lot of this, a lot of what the Antichrist is going to do, a lot of it is showmanship. He's very good at showmanship. He knows what to say and he can say it powerfully. He knows how to destroy and he can destroy wonderfully. That means he's out destroying entire countries and cities, but he, but he can present a message and make it look so wonderful. It was like, oh, yeah, those people need to die. <laughs> well, just listen to the Antichrist. He knows what he's talking about. And listen to how elegant he is and how well-spoken he is and how he, he can take the death, the death of people and make it sound like it's needed, it's warranted, it's a good thing. If you're not connected to Jesus Christ, that's why you have to filter all this. Your president, your next president, the election, whether it's parliament, whether it's whatever it is, whatever these people are saying, you can't take their energy and their, their ability to be well-spoken and to put on a good show and to tell you what you want to hear. If a politician is telling you what you want to hear, you should probably run. You need to filter it all 
think about what he's saying. I don't care how nice it sounds. What is he saying? And how does it compare to what the word of God says? Because if you don't do that, you're going to end up following after some political fool. And he's going to help cast you in a pit and then thank you for it after you get him elected. You've got to be very careful. Politicians, Hollywood politicians and musicians are excellent at making sin sound wonderful. Hollywood can make sin look so beautiful. They can make it look so, oh, just look at that imagery. It's just great. Uh, No, I mean, watching fornication is not great. And as Christians, you know, we, I, I, I presume you wouldn't, you wouldn't commit fornication in your own home. You wouldn't allow people to come into your home and commit fornication. And why would you turn on a computer, a phone, a, a television, whatever, and watch it in your home? Because every movie, every television show, they don't care about adultery and fornication and homosexuality. Now, every, every, every movie, every television show, every commercial, everything has to have a homosexual in it. And the reason for that is to make you more comfortable and to make you more comfortable. I remember a few years back, um, who knows who, um, who knows who, what's his name? Matt Damon. May here know who that is? The movie star? Only you. Of course, sinner. I was just trying to get you to admit to your sin, that's all. <laughs> he, he made a, a movie. Now, I've never seen it. I don't even remember the name of it. I will never see it. It's not going to happen. Uh, his name is Matt Damon. He's a, a famous movie star in America. All right, so that means he knows everything. You should listen to him about politics. You should listen to his opinion about abortion. Because, you know, he, he played somebody one time. So that means he knows everything about everything. So everyone should listen to the movie star because they played a person one time. Somehow that's how it works out. But what do you think about the war in Ukraine? Who cares what you think about the war in Ukraine? You're an actor. What, what, what gives you some authority to have an opinion about the war in Ukraine when all you do is play people on TV? <laughs> But that, that's how it works. So anyways, he, he made a movie, and I'm trying to think of the singer. I'm just going to pick one. I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to say his name. I'll, I'll just write it up here, and, and uh, I don't want to say the wrong, I don't remember who that actor was. I don't think it was him. No, it wasn't him. Who was it? It's like he was a famous opera singer. Anyways, I can't remember his name. I don't care about his name, but this is the point. All right, this, this is the reason we're going through this little thought exercise. He made this movie. He was in a movie about a man who was a famous opera singer. I can't think of his name. If you said his name, it would pop in my head or I would remember, but I, I can't think of his name. And, and so apparently the famous opera singer was a homosexual, what the Bible calls a sodomite. All right, he was homosexual. Well, Matt Damon played the role of his lover. I don't know how you get that job. I don't know what you did wrong that they said, look, we've got this fat opera singer and we need you to be his homosexual lover in a movie. Uh, no, (laughs) sorry, I'm busy. I got to go clip my toenails or something. I've got something else to do. All right. So I don't care if I lost money. I mean, he's he's a multimillionaire. What does he care about the money? There's no way, but But there was a series of articles that came out 
And they said that making this movie would help make people comfortable with homosexuality. So it's not a movie, it's propaganda. And it's meant to be this beautiful movie with beautiful scenes, no doubt, about a beautiful love story between a fat man and his male lover. I mean, how do you sell that? I don't know if it did sell. I would imagine it probably didn't do very well. But the purpose of the movie was to help make the audiences comfortable with homosexuality. That was the whole intent. That's what these that's what actors, musicians, and now many politicians, that's what they do. We have an agenda, we have a narrative, we have things that we need you to be comfortable with, and if I come to you, an African, and I tell you that you should be comfortable with men liking men, well, that's not going to go well in most places in Africa. It will be heavily rejected. But, but, if I put it in a movie, and I get your movie stars to act it out, then you become more familiar. Then you become a little more comfortable. Then you put your guard down a little bit. You say, well, that's, that's one of my favorite actors. I can't believe he did that. Maybe it's not as bad. That's what, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to be great at it. Hollywood is already very good at it. They are very good. At, now, they're not as good as they think they are uh, because in recent years, they have tried to, to do more of this and it's failed miserably because the majority of the world doesn't, they think it's disgusting. They don't want anything to do with it. But the majority of the world keeps watching television and they keep listening to music made by homosexuals and they keep watching Ellen DeGeneres on, on television and she gives away all these free things and man, it just, her TV show is so wonderful. Uh, that's, that's what they hope you think. They hope you think it's wonderful that she's doing so many nice things. And if she, a homosexual, is doing all those nice things on television, maybe homosexuality is not so bad. Right? It's like fishing. They're just they're putting a the hook down and they're getting it closer to your mouth, and then they're oh. <laughs> like, we got them. <laughs> they kept listening. They kept watching. They kept looking at social media. They kept watching YouTube. They kept they kept playing with all these things, and now we've got them. They're swayed. And if they can't get your generation, they're going to go after the next generation, the younger generation, with TikTok and and whatever other stupid social media sites are out now, TikTok. Like, I couldn't imagine myself part of a social media app called TikTok. What does that even mean? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life, but it's unbelievably influential. And now it's, it's, it's owned by China. It's owned by the Chinese government directly. They, they, they put some people in between to make it look like it's not. But this is what they do. If you have TikTok, I don't even know what stupid way they spell it, but whatever, that, that's, you know the name. If you have TikTok in America, 
it has an algorithm. And what they do is they use that algorithm to put the worst, most debased videos and ideas imaginable in front of people intentionally because China knows America's young people are on this app and they're going to use that to, to, to train and to sway young people to be the sickest, most vile people you can imagine. Look at young people in America today. It's working. Green hair, holes in their face. I don't know what gender I am. There's 85,000 genders now. Nobody, know, nobody even knows what the word gender means anymore. It doesn't mean anything. You just make up something. My gender is this red pen. You can't tell me it's not. Now, if you have TikTok in China, you know what you'll see? People playing Mozart, professors, the, the, the absolute best their society has to offer, that's what their algorithms are showing to the Chinese people. You're getting what you get right there. So it's a propaganda tool because everyone knows movies, music, social media, television. It's, it's no longer entertainment. Now they know, they know I can bombard their minds with these ideas. And because you'll stay on it and because people are addicted to it, they know it's going to break you down. And if it doesn't get you, it will absolutely get the next generation. China, China has no, they, they do not profit in Uganda or America having strong, intelligent young people coming up that are enriched by social media. They can keep you weak and stupid. They can keep you needing their loans. They can keep you needing their help. They can keep you needing their assistance. Now, whether you're weak or stupid is your choice. If you're sitting around all day looking at social media, you're weak and stupid. You bought into it. They, they got you. You're hooked. And over time, they're going to train you and they're going to make you what they want you to be. Get off social media. Get off movies. Get off television. Get away from ungodly music. Get in your Bible. Read good books. You don't have to just read that. I have books I have books on all sorts of subjects in my house uh, by, by people who think and research and, and put together this long stream of thoughts that are meant to help me understand what it, whatever it is they researched. That's what you should be spending your time doing. I read. I study. Now, I spend more time on YouTube than I should, but even then, I'm usually listening to lectures and things related to, to, to a lot of the stuff that I'm reading. That doesn't excuse it because you can't go on there without them trying. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go for it. That doesn't justify it. But I'm not going to, you're not going to put a homosexual video in front of me and I'm like, well, let's just see what this is about. <laughs> no, no, I know what I'm looking for. I'm going to go to that and then I'm going to get off. And if you stay there, they have every way possible to keep you there. They know how to keep you scrolling. 
They know how to keep you looking. They know how to get you. You put it down. You're like, well, well let me check one more thing. And then you go back and you look at it. Okay, well, I'm done. Okay. Well, I, I, I didn't. I need just this one more little, little thing. It, it's, there's an engineer from Facebook. He said that when they started Facebook, they had two options, two models to go with. They had model uh, A, and I don't remember what they're called, and they had model B. All right, so how, how are we going to structure the social media site? They, they said that model A would be addictive. And they were concerned about using this because it would literally cause people to become addicted to their social media site, like a drug. And they said that Model B, it's curated, kind of like a um, kind of like a Wikipedia page, and there's no addicting factor to it. Nobody's addicted to Wikipedia. When's the last time you saw somebody? I just spend too much time on Wikipedia. <laughs> You haven't. <laughs> All right. So, but but the, the the model was not addictive, and he said we 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 argued over it, and we chose to go this route. Now today, many psychologists and psychiatrists have done studies on social media sites like Facebook. The amount of addiction inherent in social media sites like Facebook, if it were a pill, it would be illegal immediately. Cocaine, heroin, these are unbelievably addictive drugs. And so what the psychiatrists, psychiatrists or psychologists are saying is that it's so addictive, if it were not a social media site, you would, if it was a substance, if it was alcohol, you would have gotten rid of it already. But because of the social media site, they're not looking at it that way. And so people's lives, you know, I don't know what the stat is now, but at one time it was something like one in five marriages end in divorce. And, and out of five divorces, at least one is going to name Facebook as a reason. People can't get off Facebook. You have these businesses in America. They, they want to hire people. Then they hire somebody and they go walk in. Like, oh, what are you working on? Oh, you're, you're on Facebook. I'm paying you to work. I'm paying you to be here and to do a job. And you're sitting here on Facebook. Why? People are so addicted to it. And, and I hate Facebook. I have one. I post stuff about Plenteous Redemption and all that on there. Other than that, I do my best to never be on there because when I do and I scroll four or five, you know, four or five people through the news feed, I'm like, that's stupid. That's idiotic. How can you believe that? Why would you post that? Then I just shut it off and walk away because it's, 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 it's so frustrating, but it has this quality to it that makes you, well, well, what's the next one? Well, what's the next one? Well, what's the next one? And so the Antichrist is going to be unbelievably good at this. He is going to convince you sin is good, the mystery of iniquity. He's going to blaspheme wonderfully. Those words don't go together. He's going to destroy wonderfully. 
They're like, oh, that's so wonderful. Look at what he's doing. He's killing all those people. Oh. But the, so as soon as something happens, and, and, and a, we can take the American government as, as, as an example. America pulled out of Afghanistan and left people there to die. Ruined people's lives. There, there are thousands and thousands of Afghanis who helped the U.S. government. We left them, left them behind, and turned them over to the people we were fighting. Up till now, hundreds of people have been killed because they cooperated with the United States government. They were executed openly in the streets. All right, so, so th- that's the reality. That's not a... That's not a, an opinion. That is a fact. That's exactly what America just did. It's unbelievably shameful. That's not what the Biden administration said. They, they, they painted a picture. We, 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 we ended the war in Afghanistan. Is that what you call it? <laughs> Ending the war? You just left and left everything there. You gave the worst people on the planet $85 billion worth of the most elite fighting equipment that exists. We brought the war to an end. So it's, it's, it's all in how you frame it. It's all in how you tell the story. Now, the Biden administration is not going to come out and say, look, we, we ended the war. But we had to do some terrible things in order to end the war. They're not going to say that. They're going to say, we ended the war. Victory. It's over. Lots of presidents said they were going to end it. We ended it. You, <laughs> you burned the place down and turned it over to monsters. And the people who are there are going to be slaughtered now by their own government. You call that ending a war? All right. So, so that, that, that's, that's, that's the mentality. That's the idea. That's that. That's why it's so important to be careful dabbling with politics because a politician can take the worst situations and they can spin it. And that's what they're going to do. They're not going to come to you and just be straightforward and say, look, we we messed up. We made a mistake. We should not have done that. They're not going to do that. They're going to say, Americans aren't, aren't going to die in Afghanistan anymore. An American hasn't died in Afghanistan in like five years. So, so what's the, they're, just, they're going to have these little spins on it to try and make it look like what they did was a wonderful thing. It was a good thing. And it wasn't. It was horrendous. The Antichrist is going to be so good at that. He could stab you with a knife and then convince you that it was a good thing. That's what's coming. All right, now the word perdition. All right, so the Antichrist is the mystery of iniquity. He's the the manifestation, literally, of iniquity. Jesus Christ is the mystery of godliness. Uh, God was made manifest in the flesh. Antichrist will will literally literally be iniquity manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the son of God. The Antichrist is the son of perdition. Now, this is the definition to the word perdition. It is the utter loss of the soul or of final happiness in a future state. Future misery 
or eternal death, the impenitent sinner is condemned to perdition. The utter loss of the soul. That's what perdition means. It, it's, it's, it's total loss of everything. He's the son of perdition. <laughs> Look at Revelation 17. You know, Peter, Peter said to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> The Antichrist is the son of perdition. (laughs) You are the son of utter loss. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. All right, so that's what goes back to what we talked about earlier about Judas. This is what they're talking about. What do they mean that he was and is not and, and now is? So they try and connect Judas Iscariot and him being the son of perdition to the Antichrist. And so they're, they're, they're using this passage to say, Judas went to his own place. He went, he went down into the pit. And now here you have the Antichrist rising out of the pit. And so it's interesting. I just don't know that I can go with it yet. I'm going to look into it some more and we'll see. First Timothy 6. It's interesting, but is it true? That's, that's the, the key. You don't want to be interesting and untrue. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. 1 Timothy 6 and uh, verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So God wants you to be poor. When they collect at me like she's going to send me into perdition. No, it's just if, if riches are your focus... You're going to end up getting yourself hurt. You're going to end up getting yourself in trouble. If all your life is about riches, uh, you're, you're going to end up having a hard time. Hebrews 10 and verse 39. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So do you see the connection it made there? You have... Perdition on the one hand, and you have believing on the other. Actually, it would be the saving of the soul. So these two are connected in that, and, and, the, and the connecting device is believing or drawing back. Unbelief. So if you believe, you believe to the saving of the soul. If you draw back, you don't believe, you reject Jesus Christ, you reject the truth, you're headed for perdition. Utter loss. All right, so that's the Apostle Paul. I'll write this next segment on the board, and then we'll take a a break. Next is John... And the Antichrist.
All right, so we covered Paul, now we're going to talk about John. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.